Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Logan Crumrine, who's joining me to talk all about the process of filing for disability with IBD. Logan has been battling Crohn's disease for over 25 years and was an earlier guest on this podcast just over a year ago. If you haven't listened to that interview yet, I highly encourage you to do so. He shares his incredible journey with IBD from being diagnosed as a teenager to surgery and clinical trials. It's technically episode 29, but shows up in Apple Podcasts as episode 34. So if you have trouble finding it, you can always find it on my blog at Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. I am thrilled to have Logan back to share what I know is going to be such a beneficial conversation all about the disability process and his experience going through it. So with that, thank you so much for joining me today, Logan, and welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's great to see you. You too. So last night, I actually just re-listened to the episode that I did with you a year ago, and it was such an incredible episode. You shared so many great pieces of advice and just such an amazing perspective on life. So the last time we spoke for the interview, you had actually just come out of some clinical trials, and despite the trial being stopped early, you still actually found remission. So since we're going to focus on the disability process today, I won't have you go into your entire story again, but I would actually love for you to update us on what the past year has been like. Tell us a little bit, you know, have you been able to stay in remission since then? And just give us a little update on how you're doing. Um, well, actually, I'm actually doing fairly well um, right now. I'm in clinical remission. I had a scope in June, I think. I mm-hmm. just saw my doctor last week. Um, so I had a scope in June and was in clinical remission. Um, and as we were talking earlier, I uh, going through my records last night just to kind of get ready for today. Um, that's eight years that I was in flare. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just a long time. So I'm in clinical remission now. Um, I'm currently on Stellara. Um, hopefully that'll hold my position where I'm at. Um, and so, yeah, that's where we're at. I mean, just trying to live through the craziness of the time right now with COVID and all that. Yeah. So. <laughs> what a strange time it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. If IBD, you know, maybe kept us inside for most of our lives because we didn't dare go out now, now COVID's keeping us in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I am, I'm so. thrilled to hear that you're still in remission and that is absolutely phenomenal news. So congratulations on that. So today we're going to talk about the disability process. And we actually had some of our IBD community members submit their questions that they had about the process. And I'm excited to have you here to help shed some light on what seems like everybody is describing as a very long and very daunting process. (laughs) So let's jump in with the hardest and longest question first. Can you tell us 
what is the disability process like? And can you kind of give an overview of what happens and what to expect? Sure. Um, so when I started eight years ago, I started to go in remission. I was working full-time um, as an assistant manager at a bank. So I was in front of people all the time. Um, and really when I started um, going into this flare, I, my customers actually started to notice, man, you're losing weight, you're losing weight. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm not trying to lose weight, so I should probably get checked out. So we went ahead and got checked out and it progressed fast enough that I needed to quit work um, in, I think, August of 2012 um, and decided that we wanted to pursue filing for disability. Um, and to say it's a daunting monster is, um, is probably true mm-hmm. um, because it's large and um, a huge task to take, to take on. Um, the first thing that you got to do is you've got to file for disability and you do that on social security. Um, mm-hmm. I think the website is like SSO social security administration and you go in and you file for disability and you answer a bunch of questions and then, you file and then you wait. Um, mm-hmm. The longest part of the process, I think, is just the waiting. Um, our first application went in and um, we waited five months wow. to get a rejection. Wow. Um, to have them say no um, and actually have the rejection letter um, here. And um, it says, decision on your case, the following medical evidence was used in evaluating your case. And then it goes through and does all the things. Um, It says, we have determined that your condition is not severe enough to consider disabling and citing this, we consider your medical record statements of how your condition affects your ability to work. You state you're unable to work. After reviewing all the available medical information, we have determined that you retain the ability to perform work. Wow. um, And this was... was what was that like to get that letter and read that? Because I know, especially after just listening to your story fresh last night, I mean, right. you had gone down some, a pretty rough road in 2012 and and really not working and just miserable. And I think it was around 2013, 14, maybe that you actually thought you might die from this disease. Um, so, it, I mean, it was serious. What was that like to get that letter? Um, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was, it was hard because at that point in, in my disease progression, um, I was unable to get almost any nutrients. Um, I was losing weight at a rapid rate, I think in, um, two years, two and a half years, I lost about 120 pounds. Um, just from malnutrition, not trying to yeah. um, do that. I have pictures I posted on my Instagram picture of myself when I was the sickest, I think in about 2015. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in my chair and I'm basically just existing at that point. Uh, my face was gaunt. And so to get to get this was hard on me, but it was also, also hard on my wife. Um, because she's seeing her husband basically just kind of waste away and knows that I can hardly get up some days. Um, I can hardly function. Um, 
I can eat anything and get no nutrients. Um, going to the bathroom 17 to 25 times a day, um, loose stools. And so it was, it was just a gut punch because I played by the rules. I did everything right. I had my doctor fill out everything that she needed to fill out. Um, we were living in Oregon at the time, um, and filled everything out and to have someone come back and just say, yeah, we, we don't believe you yeah. <laughs> essentially is what they were saying. They said, we understand that you think you're sick, but according to us, you're not sick enough. Wow. And we were just like, man, how sick do I need to be yeah. <laughs> for this to happen? <laughs> not sure I can get sicker. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, if I'm dying, I don't know how, um, how much I can, how much more I can do. Wow. So it was a gut punch for sure. Yeah. So let's jump back to that, the process overview. You file, you wait five months, you get that rejection letter. Right. Um, how did you know what the next steps were and, and what were kind of that, the overview of what those next steps were? So the um, Social Security Administration kills many trees through this process. <laughs> um, Every government my, organization does. Yes. I think my... Um, my um, my file, like I was saying, is probably two or three inches thick. And that is just the, um, information that I've kept. Cause I'm like, okay, this is important enough to keep and I'll throw this away. Um, so we get the first rejection letter and in here it says, if you, if you feel like this is an error, you can appeal your decision or you can wait another six months and file a new application. And so we jumped right to the appeal process. We said, we're going to file an appeal. Um, in the midst of filing the appeal, we moved to Washington because I wasn't getting any better. We actually moved in um, because we were approaching my 40th birthday is a pretty big marker for me because we didn't know if I was going to live to see 40. And so um, just before my 40th birthday, we moved um, up to Washington. And so during that time, we were going through the process. Thankfully, Social Security is a federal organization, so it's not state-based. Um, so we filed another appeal, um, got another rejection uh, wow. six months later. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. it's just, there's so much waiting. And that's the most, that is the most difficult thing. The wheels of this turn so slow that um, you just, it's almost unbelievable. Well, I'm going to skip ahead to a question because I, I feel like this is a good time to ask, how do you deal with that waiting and just uh, the anxiety of waiting and not knowing when, how soon it's going to come back or how it's going to come back? What were some of the things you did to, because this is a whole year now, five months to wait for the first rejection, six months for the next, a whole year. What did you do to, to help with that anxiety of just waiting? Um, well, I, that entire time is somewhat of a blur um, because when you're that sick, um, yeah. you just, everything just kind of runs together. I just, I tried my best to exist. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had to do it all over again, because I was, when I was originally diagnosed in 1990, um, wow, it's been 30 years. Um, wow. <laughs> I was originally diagnosed in 90. I went into remission for 
15 years yeah. um, or longer, almost 20 years, I guess. Um, and so I didn't know what was happening. Um, and I didn't really know how to process all of that. So I wasn't, I didn't handle it the best. Um, I think I, I sank into some pretty deep depression. Um, I spent a lot of time just sitting and not doing anything. Um, and I didn't handle it the best way I, I could have. Um, my faith got me through. Um, I had a great church around me. I have great family around me supporting me and understanding that um, some days I don't feel well enough to get out the door, much less get out of bed. Um, and so I was very thankful for that. My wife took on a lot. I mean, she was working full time, supporting us and um, taking care of all the house stuff as well. We also have two great sons who chipped in as much as they can. They were 10 and eight when all this was going on. So um, yeah, I spent a lot of time just feeling sorry for myself mm -hmm. and um, being angry. Um, plus all the medications I was on were not helping any of that. I mean, going through prednisone, uh, I was on prednisone for about three and a half years, wow. which is a really long time to be on prednisone. Yeah. I think um, in, I think in your last episode, you described your kids had described it as, as a mad dad when you were yeah. on prednisone. <laughs> yeah. Mad dad. Um, and I didn't handle it well. Um, mm. I have better perspective now that I've walked that path yeah. that when it happens again, I realize that it's, it's okay to stop and rest and it's okay to not feel good for a day. Um, but I definitely didn't have that perspective. So I didn't, I don't, overall, I don't think I handle it well. Um, I spent a lot of time angry. Which I think goes to show how important that support system really is. I mean, your wife to, to help you through that, your kids, I mean, having that support is so critical because sometimes I think, especially when, you know, when you went 15, 20 years in remission, almost, almost as if Crohn's was gone. And then you just spiral into this, the worst you'd ever been. And that's hard to keep ourselves uh, happy, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's hard to keep perspective through that. And, and I think it really just is a testament to your wife and just your family of realizing that it was kind of their turn to step up to the plate and, and be the ones to, to be supportive and to pull through and, and to get you through that. Yeah. I think that if I, if I went through it again, um, Again, just to offer some perspective on that, mm -hmm. I think that I would most definitely um, find some counseling mm -hmm. on the outset um, to go through and to have just kind of a connection point there just to help understand. Mm -hmm. um, it, it took me a long time and sometimes some days I still don't have it is the perspective that this is not my fault. Um, you know, I didn't do anything to create yeah. this disease inside of me. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting better at that, but some days my wife still has to say, you do realize you still have Crohn's disease, right? <laughs> so, um, even though I'm feeling better now, um, yeah. and I'm able to exercise and do that stuff, which is great. Um, but yeah, I took a lot of things for granted before yeah. and I don't do that anymore. So that's good. 
And that's great advice too for for anyone listening and going through a similar process or or facing a similar thing. It's great advice. Yeah. So let's jump back into kind of making our way through the overview. You get your second rejection. It's been about a year now. You get that second rejection from the appeal. And then what happens? So the second rejection is um, is kind of the final rejection as far as Social Security goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of get two chances to go to um, Social Security directly. And um, then your, your next and final step is to... Um, to appeal to an administrative law judge, I think is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went ahead and did that. Um, one of the questions we got was, should I get a lawyer in this process? Um, yeah. I think that's personal preference um, on when you do that. Um, we decided to do that when we appealed to the law judge mm-hmm. um, because uh, we were going to be going into court and we were going to be um, – we're going to be arguing our case essentially. And so we wanted to have a lawyer on our side. Thankfully, there are tons of social security lawyers that are excellent at what they do. And they, you know, you see the commercials, we don't get paid unless you get paid kind of a Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And that's the truth. That's the kind of lawyer we went to. We went to one that if you don't win your case, we don't charge anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Thankfully, What was that process? Sorry to interrupt. What was that process like in searching for a lawyer? Did you, was it kind of like open the phone book? Um, Even though we don't have phone books anymore, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) do you just kind of pick one at random or did you have a set of criteria? What was that to like to actually find a lawyer? Um, I, I don't remember the process of actually going through. I want to say that you think about that for a minute. We may have to come back to that one. Let okay. me think on that. Maybe it'll pop um, in. Yeah, it might pop in. I want to say we found them through um, the Social Security Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, had a list of attorneys that were kind of like, hey, if you need representation, mm-hmm. these are the people you can call. And we happened to get a hold of a really good one. Um we had several conferences with our lawyer. She was great. Mm-hmm. Um, that process took a long time to get a hearing. And so the, we had a, in September of 2015, we got to sit before a judge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a scary thing to do as well. Um, and so that's when we, when we, when we, so to answer that question, when we did our third appeal to the law judge, that's at the point we brought a lawyer on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that most of the information you can fill out on your own and you don't need a lawyer right away. Um, again, thankfully I had a wife who filled out forms for me, was an advocate for me um, because I was, I mean, medication, I was, I had trembles and everything else. I couldn't even write or anything. Mm-hmm. So she filled out hours and hours filling out paperwork and um, doing all of that stuff while taking me to doctor's appointments and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, to answer that question short and sweet, it's when we appealed to the law judges when we decided to get a lawyer. So what happened at that point, once you finally got the hearing, did it take a while 
of meeting with the lawyer, um, you know, months, maybe a inter- couple of interviews or what was that like? And then what happened after you met with the judge or the law so, appeal? Right. So we um, met with the lawyer a couple of times. Um, mainly it's just collecting data, mm-hmm. um, medical records from everyone that you can think about. Um, when you apply, they want to know all kinds of information. Um, they want to know the last five jobs you've had in the f- last 15 years. They want to know what, what type of duties you did on the longest job you had. I mean, it's just, it's, it's invasive. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just, they want to know everything, what date you became disabled, Mm -hmm. how sick you actually are, just everything. It's so it's a lot of data gathering. Um, And so what the lawyer does is they gather all that data for you. Um, They contact all of your doctors and get all of your medical records. Mm -hmm. Um, At least ours did. And they put it all into a case file that then goes to the judge. Mm -hmm. So, cause I don't know how to build a case file for a legal thing. So (laughs) um, (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) They they did all that information and um, they gave us uh, a couple CDs. I mean, remember CDs when they used to put stuff on CDs (laughs) of all of my medical records for, I mean, I think they even went back to my original diagnosis when I was 15. So, um, um, so yeah, they're just kind of the data point. Mm -hmm. And then, so we got our, we got our um, hearing scheduled, um, had to go to the federal courthouse, um, sat in a room, walked in with the, um, into a room with a judge. There's, there's two people in the room. When you go in for disability, there's the judge, and then there's another guy that's sitting off to the side, or a woman, mm-hmm. another person sitting off to the side, and um, you sit down and, and you're before a judge. And um, the job of that other person is he's a what did they call him? He's like a employment specialist mm. um, person. Mm-hmm. And his job is basically to look at the evidence, to hear all the evidence and to hear the testimony. And then um, the judge basically asks him one question at the end of the proceedings. Wow. So we go in there and we sit there for an hour or an hour and a half. Feels like days. Yeah. Um, I'm sitting there wondering, okay, what if I have to get up and go to the bathroom? All this, right. <laughs> you know, so right. I'm carrying all that with me. Um And then, so the judge looks at him and says, okay, so based on your opinion, is there a job in the American economy that Logan Crumrine could hold for any amount of time? Wow. And the second and I think bigger gut punch or reality check for me was to hear that occupational specialist say no there's not a job in the u.s economy yeah that that's a lot of jobs <laughs> a lot of variety <laughs> that, in that <laughs> that you can do um understand wow. that i was very very sick at this point 
Um, I had forms from two gastroenterologists and my primary care filled out in detail about how I couldn't work, um, how I could stand up for 20 minutes, but then I may have to go and take a 45 minute nap. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's how sick I was. Well, you said Um, you couldn't even fill out the forms. Your wife was doing that. Your hands were trembling, just existing at that point. Yeah. Um, And so he said that, and then we wait again. And so that was on the 20, that was in September of 2015. Wow. And then I have my judgment. Let me see if I can find it so I know how far it came. So I actually got my judgment back two months after that. Um, And it comes in a letter uh, from the court and went to the mailbox and picked it up and just shaking while I'm opening it because this is it, right? If we we don't get this, we have to start this whole process over again. We're in for it for two more years. And um, it came back and said, case before us was a hearing. Oh, vocational expert. That's what they call that guy. Okay. Um, And then it says my finding was um, confirmed that – you actually are disabled and you can't work. So, um, and then they backdated that to the date that I had originally filed, which oh, was wow. 2013. Okay. Um, and so what that does is that says, okay, so now you're disabled and you can't hold a regular job. So now your social security benefits um, begin and they actually backdate that social security benefit all the way back to when you originally filed. And they back pay so, it like a lump sum. Yeah, they back pay it. So we got a lump sum, which was nice. Yeah. Um, it's still not enough to do no. anything. Um, I mean, it's not even. My son was working part time and was making more yeah. um, than I could ever hope to make on disability. So <laughs> it's minimal at most. Yeah. So, so it sounds like the whole process took close about two years. Is that yeah. right? From filing in 13 and then the statement in 15. Yeah. And you oh, mentioned, geez. you mentioned real briefly that you said had you were waiting for that letter from the hearing and had that come back as, um, I guess, if not approved, you would have had to, you could have started the process again, but you'd have to wait two years. Is that what I'm understanding? I, I, that's what I'm recalling. Again, mm-hmm. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an expert in yeah. this. Um, <laughs> please don't take any of this as legal advice. Yeah. Um, We're just saying there might be hope. Dis- <laughs> right? We, we can put give that you disclaimer hope. on there. None of exactly. this, none of the information in this podcast is legal <laughs> advice. Um, exactly. Yeah. I think we would have had to wait a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have not been declared permanently disabled for the rest of my life. So at any time, um, social security can send me a letter Mm -hmm. and says, Hey, we're checking on you to make sure you're still sick Mm -hmm. and still disabled. And, um, you have to fill out a form and send it Mm -hmm. in. And, um, so they like to check on you because they don't, again, they're paying money, so they want to make sure that you are um, actually disabled and sick. 
So tell me. So a I'm little, thankful for that. Yeah, definitely. Tell me a little bit more. Just thinking of that because one of the questions we had was, "Can you?" I think it was, "Can you still work when you're on disability? Can you still work and earn some kind of income?" And so, if you are not, if if you're not permanently disabled, tell me a little bit about that mindset. How that plays into everything, since. Crohn's can come and go into remission. Talk about that now, what the outlook is or kind of the plan and, and can you work at all? Is that part of it? Sure. So um, social security is um, actually does do some um, allows for some work. Um, Mm -hmm. It allows for, there's a certain cap on salary that you can make. I think, Right now, it's whatever the poverty level is for people. I think it's like Mm $16,000. So I could work and earn up to $16,000. The weird thing is that in Social Security, the, the way that they count that income is it has to be earned and it has to be taxable. Mm -hmm. So it can't, if it's not earned, but taxable, it doesn't count against that. So, so literally, like a gift or... sure, like a gift or literally I could win the lottery oh, okay. and still collect social security because I didn't do anything to earn that, but it's taxable. Okay. Or if it's earned and not taxable, then that doesn't count as well. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, but Makes I think sense it's like, for the government. <laughs> sure. sure. Um, if I win the lottery for the record, I'm going to stop collecting. <laughs> Out of your own personal belief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they do allow for work. Um, one question was, can I be on unemployment while waiting for disability? Yes, mm-hmm. you can. Um, there's even a program now that um, allows you to basically take nine months and it's a work trial program that you can um, work for nine months and earn as much as you want during that nine Mm -hmm. months. And it's kind of a, to test the waters to see if you can go back to work. Yeah. And that doesn't affect your, um, your benefit at all. I think it's a real tricky, tricky situation with IBD, kind of that fine line because stress is so much of a trigger for IBD that you might be able to rest and recover and start to feel good. And, and then that's maybe what your body can handle. But then you throw work back into the equation and you start throwing all that stress back into the equation. And it's like, there's the recipe for disaster again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and my wife and I have that conversation often. We say, cause I'll say, you know what? I, I just, cause again, I deal with the, the feelings of I'm not contributing to the family, all that stuff. And so I'm like, you know what? I think I kind of want to start looking for a little work and I, I might want to pick something up and, you know, do see if I can find something to work from home or something like that. And the first question is, okay, so what are we going to do when you get sick again? If you go off social security, if you go off disability, what are you going to do if you get sick again? And um, the question is, well, we'd start the, we'd have to start the process over again. Wow. And um, the answer usually is, (laughs) the, the answer is usually, okay, so, let's think about that and talk about it. And then I'll have a few bad days and I'm like, yeah, I can't do full-time work yet. 
Yeah. And I may not ever be able to. So um, it's finding other stuff to occupy my time um, that I, and so I do a lot of cooking mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I'm able to be home with my boys, especially now, which is so vital Yeah, to be able to help them with school and do all that stuff. My wife has also, as if she wasn't, didn't have enough going on this week, she's finishing her bachelor's degree. So wow, she's gone back to awesome. school and done that. So, um, we've got a lot going on, but, um, but yeah, you can, so yes, you can work. Um, you can collect unemployment while you're waiting for that disability. What happens is if you hit that threshold, it starts affecting how much benefit you come in. And then they may say, okay, so why are we still giving you benefit if you can work mm-hmm. full time? Makes sense. So, so one of the questions you'd mentioned, you'd had all your doctors fill out the forms and it sounded like you had a couple of two letters from gastroenterologists, one from your primary care physician. So one person had asked, I had my GI doctor fill out my disability form. Should it have been my primary doctor? Do you have any thoughts on that? I think the more information that you can provide to social security, um, the more people you have saying, yes, this person is sick um, and can't do this stuff. I think it's better. And the more medical experts you have saying that um, I understand that I am remarkably fortunate to be able to get the care that I get. Mm -hmm. Um, We have really good insurance through my wife's work. And so I can, I can go see whatever doctor I want. Um, And so I had, I had my primary care, my initial uh, GI doc, and then my current GI doc Mm -hmm. all fill out what's called a residual functional capacity questionnaire. It's a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah. And they just, it answers, um, does this patient's impairment, will it last more than 12 or at least 12 months? Um, Is this person a liar? Um, I mean, it just asks, they, again, they just deep dive into your life and into your mm-hmm. character because they want to know that you're telling the truth. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the questions is, is this person a maligner, which I think is, is this person making this up is all in their head. So, wow. um, so yeah, I had no stone unturned on yeah. the questionnaire. I had three different doctors uh, fill out my um, that actual questionnaire. And that took some time too, mm-hmm. um, because they're busy and this is a, let's count them. <laughs> Lengthy. <laughs> this is like a five or six page questionnaire. Wow. And so to get doctors to fill out a five or six question, five or six page questionnaire with their own handwriting is pretty, pretty good. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. impressive. So one question someone asked was, do you have to have had multiple surgeries? You yourself has had some surgeries. I, I think that maybe adds to the how complicated the disease is, but is that, do you think that is a requirement? I don't think it is. I think it's based on um, your ability to do work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what the... Um, occupational specialist is there to answer those questions is to say, can this person function in a job? Because as sick as I was, there was no way I was going to be able to do 
my banking job yeah. because I wasn't going to be able to stand in front of customers for eight hours a day with not being able to leave if I needed to, if I'm in the middle of a transaction, I can't leave. Yeah. Um, and starting to get sick at the bank, I had some of those where I was like, uh, I got to leave right now, but I got to finish this. And then, yeah. um, so, um, I don't think you have to have surgery. Yeah. Cause um, that wouldn't have mattered this, the state that you were in having a surgery or had you not had one, if you were still right. in that position of not being able to stand at the bank and, and take care of customers. Right. So I think we covered most of the questions and I think if we kind of recap a little bit, what you recommend as the first starting point in the process, it sounds like going to the social security website. Do you have any other kind of tips as far as the getting started process? Right. So on the website, um, it's actually improved since I originally went on um, and they have actually quote, I actually printed it off this morning. Mm -hmm. It's the checklist for online adult disability application. And it tells you everything you need to have mm -hmm. um, in order to file the first one. And you need to, I mean, so just to run the list, you need to know your date and place of birth. Are you married? Um, names and birth dates of kids. Um, military service, employer de details for the last two years, self-employment de details, um, contacts, list of medical conditions, information about your doctors, and they want names, addresses, phone numbers, all of that stuff because they've got to go find all those things. So that's mm -hmm. a really good checklist. I wish we would have had when we started the process because I don't think this was um, – actually available yeah. to start the process. You kind of just had to start it and you can file online. So you don't have to fill out the paperwork. Oh, that's good. So, so do you have any tips as far as throughout the whole process? One question was, do you have any tips for the hearing, but do you have any tips in general, looking back at the whole process as far as just making it through each stage? I would say the main thing is find a way to manage that stress Mm -hmm. um, and be prepared for not getting an answer, um, because it's going to feel like years when you're between sending in paperwork and, um, getting an answer. And there's really nothing you can do to speed that process at all. Um, I would call social security and they say, well, it's still in process and it's still in process and it's still in process. And, I think when you fill out the form, they say they have up to six months to get back to you. Wow. Um, so, and it's just because of the amount of people filing or all that. I'm sure it, it may take longer now, especially with all the COVID and disability and all that stuff that it could take three, even four years now to get approved. Yeah. Um, but I think the best thing to do is, is find some way to manage your stress um, and just try and enjoy each day and find those moments of joy. Yeah. Um, we talked about your podcast last week and my takeaway from that was I have to deal with what's in front of me. Yeah. I can't do the next thing mm -hmm. until um, the thing in front of me is taken care of. And so that can take, like it can take six months. 
So you've got to find something to do. Um, and sometimes that's just existing. Yeah. Um, and that's okay as well. It's good advice. So is, do you think looking back at this whole process, is there anything that you think we might've left off or anything that you wish you would have known that we haven't talked about um, as you were going into this disability process? Um, I think that one thing that I realized is that my doctors um, are for me. Um, they're on my side. Um, my doctors, the ones that I've had have been wonderful and have filled out every form and answered every question we've ever had. Um, again, I am blessed to have a wife who's an incredible advocate um, for me. And um, if you don't have that, if you're single or don't have someone to go through this process, there are patient advocacy groups out there that will have people go to the hospital with you and advocate for you and advocate with you. And some of those are beneficial because they know the hospital system maybe a little bit better. Um, if you're ever at a point where you're uncomfortable, find a lawyer mm -hmm. that can walk you through the process because they know it. They, they do it every day. And it's when you're sick and you're doing your best just to get out of bed it's hard to take on another task. And so there's people out there that can do that stuff for you, lean on them and lean on that support that you, um, you have available to you. Cause it's so, so important to realize that you're, you're not facing it alone. Um, and there's a community out there. I mean, there's, you know, the Crohn's community, the IBD community is mm -hmm. just incredible um, as far as support goes and, um, so lean into that a little bit. That's great advice. I love that. So one of the things I was thinking about from your last podcast is you had said that you and your wife kind of have this mantra of reminding each other that today was not wasted. Is that something that you still take the time to remind each other and look back and reflect upon? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of been um, that kind of where that came from for us was, we, um, when I was in remission, we kind of realized that we had taken a lot of stuff for granted. Mm -hmm. and we were like, oh, well, this, we'll have another experience like this, or we'll have, um, we'll have this again. And going through the illness that I went through and the flare that I went through, we realized that those moments that you have are small and they may not seem like that big of a deal, but um, they're so, so important because you can, you can gain strength and sustenance from them when you're in a hard place. Um, you can use those memories. You can remember the hike you went on. You can remember the time you sat around with your kid and sucked at video games <laughs> for an hour. Um, so yeah, that not wasted. Um, we really try and, and live that. Um, more and more um, just to be able to to hold on to those moments, those precious moments, because they are precious. And um, being someone that didn't know if I was going to live past 40, um, I really, these last five years have tried to, um, tried to just hold on to those a little bit more. I love that. 
couple of the other things you talked about last time is that you used painting, meditation, and journaling to really help with your mindset and stress and anxiety day to day. Are those practices that you still continue to do? Um, those, I try and do them as much as I can. Um, I am not as good as I would love to claim to be mm-hmm. um, at those. Um, I am finding myself now um, exercising a lot more and I'm actually starting to lift some weights and stuff like that, which I just love. So that's a big stress relief for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the first things I do when I wake up in the morning. Um, I joked to my wife the other last week, I think she was like, why do you get up so early and work out? And I said, well, I'm just kind of off the cuff without even thinking about it. I said, I have to get up early and work out first thing in the morning because I have to beat my Crohn's awake. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> if I wait till the end of the day, there's, I just don't have any, have anything yeah. left. So, um, so yeah. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, having just listened to the podcast yesterday, it's fresh on my mind, but I think you'd said you did the painting because it was a way to release stress, but you weren't at that time feeling as good as you do now where you've just found a different activity that's helping you to keep that stress away and making you stronger and and healthier. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And we're also looking forward to um, having some more time uh, with my wife being done with school and all that, we're going to actually start to get out and probably do some hiking and stuff like that and be able to enjoy Washington state mm-hmm. a little more, um, be in the mountains a little more and, and do some of that, um, that's, that's before my kid goes to college next year too. So, wow. Grown up. Yeah. <laughs> so now that it's been a year, last time you described yourself as a rookie advocate, can we now officially call you a, a semi-pro IBD advocate? <laughs> I think maybe. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be a better advocate. I'm still mm-hmm. kind of trying to find my voice. I think everyone um, has periods where they're like, "Oh, I can't do this anymore." Yeah. Um, I know you took a break from your podcasts in the kind of through the COVID thing, and yeah. I think everyone kind of hits that point with advocacy that it's like, "Okay, what else can I do?" Um, but I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to kind of narrow my focus to be mm-hmm. more outspoken. Um, you know, this year is an election year and voting is so important. Um, so if I can plug anything, I would just plug to, you know, get out there and vote mm-hmm. um, because it's so important and lives depend on it. Um, whatever side you're on, lives yeah. depend on what you're saying. It um, does. And especially people with IBD. Um, it's a pre-existing condition. You know, I, my, my sister works in insurance and she's a producer and she, um, like Crohn's disease, you have 26 points that you can hit hmm. before you're disqualified from getting, um, medical insurance. This is prior to the mm-hmm. affordable care act and Crohn's disease is 25 points. Wow. So, um, it's almost an automatic disqualifier. So um, it's important to know what's going on and to be engaged. And, you know, it's frustrating. Sometimes you yell at the TV on both sides and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but we've got to use our voice and we've got to remember what we're voting for um, because it matters. It does. 
It does. So if people want to follow you and keep up with you, where can they do that online? Right. So um, Instagram is where I'm at. Um, Crony dad. Um, and then my other is just my name, Logan Crumrine. Um, that's kind of my personal one. I try and do more advocacy stuff on crony dad. Um, going to try and do a little bit more of that and be conscious of that since I'm starting to exercise and stuff. I'm feeling better. I think I have mm. the energy to do that. Good. Um, so, but yeah, crony dad is probably the best place to follow me. Um, and also any questions you guys have, um, I have a lot of free time. So if you guys, anyone out there wants to DM me or anything like that, they certainly can. And I'll try and answer any of those questions. So that's wonderful. Thank you for offering that up to people to, to yeah. feel free to reach out. So is Again, there any... I'm not a lawyer or a medical yeah. professional. <laughs> Put that fine print in there. And neither am I. So <laughs> don't listen to either of us. <laughs> so is there anything else that you want to leave with the audience today before we wrap up? I think that just remember that even though you have a chronic illness, that the chronic illness is not you. Um, it does not define you. Um, it may some days define your day, but it certainly is not um, you as a person. Um, it is a part of you, but it can be a small part of who you actually are. So um, just keep fighting. And we are the strongest people I know um, because we go through more than um, I think anyone can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're silent warriors. And so um, it's not seen on the outside, but understand you're not alone. And there's people out there that care and are willing to fight for you and advocate for you. Great words of wisdom. So with that, I just want to thank you so much, Logan, for sharing your journey and especially sharing this part of your journey and just giving us such an incredible in-depth look at the disability process. I know I've, I've seen so many people ask questions about it, and this is such a valuable conversation that we've had today. So it's been a pleasure talking with you and just thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.